uh, who we can pattern our family after. We started, of course, with Adam and Eve. Uh, you know, Adam and Eve were put in a perfect situation, and of course the woman caused sin to happen. Amen. amen. Can I get an amen from the men? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's called the sin of Adam. I think he was there watching and participated in right away. But I do know that within one generation, one of their children had killed another. And although I've seen that look in one of my son's eye, I have not fortunately experienced that firsthand. And they went from being in a perfect situation to being in a, in a fallen world with a fallen family. We moved on through the scriptures and we found Abraham and Sarah. Now think about this. He's the father of the Jewish nation. You would think he'd have a great home. But he was living in a place called Ur. Say Ur. How do you spell that? U-R. Ur. It's in Babylon. And God said, Abraham, I want you to move. And so Abraham went home after a Thursday at work, and he said, honey, we're moving. And she said, great, where are we going? And he said, I don't know. Think about that, ladies. Your husband shows up and says, we're moving. Where are we? I don't know. The worst thing you can ever say to your wife is, I'm thinking about moving. Can't say that to your wives, can you? Now they moved, and they went to a new land. It became the land of Israel. But along the way, they we're supposed to have children. If you leave her, God said, Abraham, you're going to have a new land, you're going to have children, and you're going to be a blessing on the earth. Well, 25 years go by, no kids. And so they did what I would tend to do. They tried to outthink God and help God along in fulfilling his promise. Sarah comes to Abraham and said, here's what we're going to do to have a kid. I'm going to let you sleep with my handmaiden, Hagar. And Abraham says, really? But that lack of patience and trust in the promise of God caused a man named Ishmael to be born and all the Arab nations come from Ishmael and to this day we have the Arab-Israeli conflict that go back to that lack of patience in the promise of God. Not a home I want to pattern mine after. So you go to David and Bathsheba. Well, we're not even going to think about that one. It starts with, uh, with murder and goes to adultery. It actually starts with adultery and goes to, to murder. Is that how you want to build your foundation for your perfect home. So Abraham, you know, David leaves behind a son named Solomon. He's the next king. Solomon had how many wives? 900. Well, 300 were wives and 600 were concubines. Same deal. And imagine just the number of bathrooms you had to keep clean. I do not want to be in that home. And so again, in Solomon's life, I'm saying, you know, he might have had a good home, and he does write the Song of Solomon where he does have one ideal relationship with one woman. And it's a great model for us, but the whole life of Solomon is a disaster in many cases. I'll skip over to the New Testament. Surely the home of Mary and Joseph has to be a perfect home. Think about that. They start their relationship with a pregnant woman out of wedlock. And in their world, she could be put to death by stoning under the Jewish law. Oh, but that, you know, then they get married, and after Jesus is born, they have at least, I saw him hit you. I, <laughs> there are no perfect congregations either i you know jesus had at least seven brothers and sisters think about that and in john chapter 7 we read his brothers were not believing in him and that's three years into his ministry don't know about the girls don't know what their names are don't know how many there were but i know that the family was in such a state because joseph probably dies leaving behind a widow and at least eight children or seven children and on the cross when it came time for jesus to provide for his mother he looked at his disciple John and said, John, here's your new mother. Mary, here's your new son. And she went to live with John as opposed to living with his other family. Now, we do know that James and Jude wrote books of the Bible and they were half-brothers of Jesus. 
But I'm thinking it's pretty hard to grow up in a home that has an older son like Jesus. Think about that. Any of you have an older sibling that think they're Jesus? (laughs) Any of you are an older sibling and you know you're Jesus? That's me. I was the oldest of three. And I was the perfect son. Except I wasn't. I'm sure every time Jesus hit his thumb in the carpenter shop, he said, oh, praise me. So I look at Mary and Joseph, I say, I, I, you know, there are probably some good things there, but that's not the perfect model for me. Well, later in the New Testament, we have Paul and Mrs. Paul. Obviously, she was the founder of the Fish Sticks Company. Don't know what her name was, and we're not even 100% sure Paul was married. Uh, but it was such a relationship that when Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, if you're not married, it's better to remain as me. I think she kicked him out when he came to Jesus. And there are many homes, even in this room today, that are represented by one spouse who's a believing spouse and one spouse not so much. And that creates tension. That was the kind of home I grew up in. My mom was of one faith, my dad was of another, and they never could really get together on the same uh, page. So my wife and I were stupid enough to have four children, and we soon found out that there are no perfect homes. And you know what? Your your home and your kids are not going to be perfect either. You mean my kids aren't perfect? I have these wonderful sons. Now they're not perfect. You know, my son Zach is here today. Hi, Zach. And uh, some, some of you know that Zach played baseball in high school, and he played baseball in college, and he played baseball professionally. But how many of you know that Zach also played mailbox baseball? <laughs> not perfect. He had a younger brother, Matty, who was just hell on wheels. Sorry, if you're second born, you usually are. In his senior year, right before the state finals, he was in such bad trouble with a teacher that the teacher went to report him to the principal, and the principal wanted him to play, so the principal hid under his desk so that Matty was free to play in the championship game. That was a close call. He is not perfect. My son, Ben, we're just thankful to know he's not a serial killer. He was a tough one, you know. You know, Zach's friends used to come up to Ben in the eighth grade. Hey, Ben, beat anybody up today? You know, Ben has had quite a life. I, I will tell you this: Ben is actually finishing up college and going to seminary. Of all my kids, who would think Ben is going to seminary? But you know, Ben got suspended from school for giving a classmate a wedgie, <laughs> and that's the least of what he did. He beat up a kid one day, and the principal called and said, uh, "Ed." Uh, Ben beat up Tony. I said, oh boy. He said, off the record, I have to tell you, most of us are pretty pleased that he beat up Tony. He needed his butt kicked. He said, but on the record, we've got to come up with a punishment. How about in-school suspension for a day? I said, how about keep him for a week? Ben took more parenting calories than the other three put together. He was tough. Maybe you got one of those. Maybe you are one of those. My fourth son is Johnny. You know Johnny. He plays the music and he smiles and he's so cute. I got a call one time at about 1 in the morning from a police officer. Mr. Diaz, this is officer so-and-so. I'd like you to talk to your son. And Johnny says, Dad, we were throwing oranges at things and we hit a car. You know, I wanted to tell the cop, put him in jail overnight. He'll never do it again. My kids are not perfect. Your kids are not perfect. Nobody's kids are perfect, but I think if you study the Bible, there are really only two institutions that God ordains in all of the Bible. One is the church, and the other is the family. 
And so we ought to be able to look at families in the Scriptures and say, hey, what could happen here? What did happen here? What did they do right? So I want to take you today through the lesson of Isaac and Rebekah. If you have your Bible, we're in Genesis 26, 27 in there. Isaac and Rebekah had two sons. I, Isaac was the, the youngest son of Abraham. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. So it's Abraham, Isaac, Esau, Jacob. Say that. Abraham, Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. Say it again. Abraham, Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. Say it backwards. Esau, Jacob, Abraham. Thank you for praying for my back. It's good to be back. Yeah. I'm one month post-surgery, and I'm able to walk without firing my legs. I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. But Isaac and Rebekah were married. And they could not have any children. And in Genesis 25, uh, Rebekah was barren. Again, in their world, to be barren, not to have children, was a curse. And so Isaac prayed for his wife, and she got pregnant with twins. The problem was in the womb, one twin was fighting with another twin, and it drove her nuts. And yet God appears to them and said, here's the deal. In your, in your womb are two twins who will represent two nations and they're fighting with each other and you need to know this Isaac and Rebecca the younger will rule over the elder the older will serve the younger so Esau was the firstborn Jacob was born a few minutes later but in their world Esau should have had the firstborn blessing the firstborn benefits there are some benefits to being the firstborn how many are firstborn God bless you how many are not you know, in their world, if you were the firstborn, you got half of the estate, or two-thirds if there was only one other child. Okay. So to get the firstborn benefit was a big deal. And so Isaac and Jacob grow up, and the problem is that they have different issues in their lives. It says, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful Brian Leg type hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. That's a big but right there. Put that, circle that in your Bible. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And so we've got a home without children. Now we've got children. Dad loves the older son. Mom loves the younger son. And Isaac could never get his arms around the fact that God said the younger would serve the older. Now that takes place in two separate incidents. In Genesis uh, 26, uh, at the end of the day, I, Esau has been out hunting, and he's starving, and he gets in, and uh, Jacob is working in the kitchen. He's a cook. He loves to be with his mom. He's a mama's boy, and he's got this pot of stew, and Jacob gets there, and he says, I'm so hungry, I'd give anything for your stew, and... Jacob says, I'll tell you what, Esau, you can have the stew if you'll give me your birthright. And his birthright was the right to the, the choice part of the inheritance. And because Esau was more interested in physical immediate uh, gratification than in long-term blessing, he sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for a pot of stew. Now, fast forward into their lives to Genesis chapter 27. And a few years later, it says uh, that Jacob is uh, listening in with his mother, Rebecca. Actually, Rebecca's doing the listening. And Isaac says, Here, here's what I want you to do. Isaac goes to Esau, the hunter. 
should go out into the field, hunt for some game. Here's what I want you to do. Come back and prepare it for me. I don't think they had wild hogs in, in the New Testament. But I do know they had great game. And so he said, prepare for me that I might bless you. And the whole thing that I want to focus on the rest of the talk today is this idea of the blessing. The blessing has to do with the idea of I'm going to bestow upon you an abundance of God's grace and God's love and God's expectation and so forth. And so Isaac says to Esau, go kill the animal, you come home, and I am going to bless you. Now, the problem is, Rebecca is listening in to the conversation. Rebecca gets alone with Jacob and said, hey, your dad's about to give away the blessing. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to cook up some meat just like your dad likes it. You go and put on Jacob's clothes. And he does. And put on Jacob's deodorant, which is B.O. plenty from the outdoors. And he does. And, here, and, then, and Jacob says, you know, but Esau is hairy and I'm smooth. Yeah, actually, the word Esau means red. Did you know that? So his name is Red. And he was a hairy red guy. And so mom says, hey, here's what we're going to do. Your dad doesn't see very well. He's old and he's blind and he, he can hear and smell, but he doesn't see very well. So let's take some goat skin and put it on your arms. He must have been really hairy. And so now take the stew into your daddy and we'll steal the blessing. And so it happens in Genesis chapter 27 and verse 18. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. So he lies. This is not a perfect home. He's lying to his own dad. He says, I've done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Now this blessing is a blessing that had been given to Isaac by Abraham and a blessing that had been given to Abraham by God. When God told Abraham, leave Ur, you're going to have a land, you're going to have a million descendants, a bajillion descendants, and I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations on the earth. And so Isaac got that blessing from Abraham because it wasn't realized in Abraham's family. And now Isaac is going to bestow it upon Esau, but in the midst of all this there's treachery and deceivery, and in comes Jacob with his mother's help. And so Jacob is trying to steal the blessing. Then Isaac said, Now, my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. My guess is he had more than a little bit of wine. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please, come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. You see, when he had first come in, Isaac said, Look, you know, you say you're Esau, but you sound like Jacob. But now he smells the clothes and he says, it's I, it's, it's Esau. And he blessed his son. And here is the blessing that is bestowed. He says, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors. I'm not sure that's a good thing, by the way. Which the Lord has blessed. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. Many, may many nations become your servants. 
and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed, and all who bless you will be blessed. That goes back to the same exact promise that God made Abraham. Now Moses is writing this, and he's writing the book of Genesis to the people of Israel who are in the midst of migrating from Egypt to their homeland. And he's trying to show Moses how the Jewish nation is going to rule over their neighbors. Because most of the neighbors didn't like the Jewish people. To this day, there's nothing really new since the beginning of the nation Israel. People hate them. Now, Isaac gives the blessing. All those who curse you will be cursed, and all those who bless you will be blessed. Now, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. This is like a soap opera. Da-da-da! Esau returned from his hunt. And he prepared a delicious meal, and he brought it to his father, and then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your what? Well, you know what happens. Isaac asked him, who are you? Who are you? Esau replied, it is your son, your firstborn son, Isaac. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. Imagine as a father, late in life, being deceived by your wife and son this way. He is crushed. He is devastated. It is not a home that I want to use as a model for mine. And he said, then who just served me, wild game? I have already eaten it, and I have blessed him just before you came, and yes, that blessing must stand. And then Esau is devastated. It says, when Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. That word loud and bitter cry, it actually comes from an Arabic word for thunder. It's long and oh, just the pain of it all. It's used in the book of Jeremiah of nations who have been defeated in war and the ravages of war just leave out this long time of anguish and heartbrokenness. I hope You've never experienced that, but my guess is you probably have. Esau is broken. He is crushed. He leaves out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here, and he tricked me, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First he took away my rights as the firstborn, and now he is stolen by blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? It's interesting that Esau gave away his birthright. That was a big deal, but the thing that really broke his heart was to lose his father's blessing. And he calls his brother Jacob. You know what the word Jacob means? Anybody named Jacob? It means heel grabber means in the womb he was grabbing my heel and trying to pull himself ahead of me. It means supplanter. It means trickster. It means deceiver. Not a great meaning to a name. I got a grandson, Jake, and he doesn't need to be there. The great thing is God changes Jacob's name in a few chapters in Genesis to Israel. And Jacob is the one that has the 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. But in the Jacob state, he is fallen. He is broken. He is deceiving. He is a miserable human being in cahoots with his mother. Still got the amen corner working. 
Now, the question is for us, you know, fast forward, Abraham is about 1500 B.C. and we're at about 2000 A.D., so 3,500 years ago this happens, probably 3,200 years ago. What is this blessing? And more importantly, how can I do this for my kids? The idea of the blessing is, is really the word Barak. It's the name of our president. Barak means blessing. It means to bend the knee. It means to bow down. It means to consider someone as heavy or great, give them great honor. It's an amazing thing because, in, in my opinion, I don't think our president has ever had the blessing from his father. He grew up pretty much raised by his mom and mostly his grandma. Maybe his grandpa gave it to him. And I think some of the actions of people, if we look at their lives today, are a direct result of them either having received the blessing or not received the blessing. I think as you study the blessing, you understand that it's a big deal in the Jewish world. In fact, if you study prison populations, you know there's less than 1% of the people in prison are Jewish? Isn't that interesting? And I really think it goes back to this biblical idea of them being able to pass the blessing on from one generation to another. And dads, most of this falls on you. It's mostly on the dad to provide the blessing for the children. And so as my wife and I were raising our children, we did some things that we stole from the Old Testament, and one of them was the blessing. As our kids reached the time in life where they were heading out into the world, we wanted to make sure they had our blessing. And I'll tell you how we did that as we look at these different stages. The first part of the blessing of five is, is there is meaningful and appropriate touch. In the case of Isaac, he touched and kissed his son Jacob. I think as a parent you need to make absolutely sure that you have meaningful and appropriate touch with your children throughout their whole lives. There are some times when they will rebel against that. Teenage boys don't like to be hugged and kissed. But if you'll keep after it, they will continue to hug and kiss you after they've gone through that awkward stage. To this day, I love to get hugs from my boys. I, I have no problem with them kissing me or me kissing them, but it's an appropriate thing. And with daughters, it's even more important. If you have a daughter who's nine, that's the most important age, dads, to have meaningful and appropriate touch with her, to hug on her and tickle with her and play with her and make her understand she's valuable because you deem it so. And if you're willing to do that, then she will go through puberty and come through on the other end without having to find meaningful physical touch in an inappropriate way from an older boy. A part of the blessing is meaningful, physical touch. When we had the blessing ceremony for each of our sons, we laid hands on them and we actually anointed them with oil. I would encourage you to think about doing that. As our sons were ready to go out into the world, the second thing we wanted them to understand was there's a spoken message here. Isaac said, this is what I'm going to say over you. You are great in these regards. And I think the spoken message is huge because our words can and do tear down as well as build up, but if you can use your words to build up your kids, they will go out into the world with your blessing. Now, it doesn't always have to be positive, positive, positive. I, one of my favorite people in my life growing up was a football coach named Coach Tricoli. I'll never forget him. And he, he actually taught me to drive. You know how he taught me to drive? He was the teacher, I was the driver, and every time I messed up, he'd reach over and bop me. I learned to drive in about three minutes because I was tired of getting clobbered. That was his meaningful physical touch. But I'll never forget, he used to stay on me and stay on me and stay on me, and I, 
There were times I wondered, what does he want from me? And then I, I missed two or three blocks in a row, and then he wouldn't talk to me after the game. I was devastated. And it took two weeks before he hollered at me again, and I was smiling ear to ear. See, my kids, if they don't hear from me, they don't understand how important they are. So physical touch is important. A spoken message is important. And then third, attaching high value to the one being blessed. When we did our ceremony of blessing in our family, we had communion as a family, we laid hands on that child, and then we went around the table, and each of the, each of the people in the family, and later even my daughters-in-law got involved with my younger kids, said, this is what we see as your great gifts and how God will use you to minister as you leave our home. And again, why do we raise children? We raise children to get rid of them. We raise children to send them out and have an impact on their world. We don't raise children to hide them. We don't raise children to totally protect them. We raise children to equip them to minister for Jesus. And here's how I see, and each one of my kids is different. And each one of them had to hear, this is how we think God will use you. God can use you mentally. God can use you physically. God can use you spiritually. You have a great and tender heart. You have the ability to be lovingly confrontational. You have a future because God has equipped you so. Four, the blessing involves picturing a special future for him or for her. In our home, what we did was we said, look, here's, here's, here's the deal. You have a special future because you are a child of the king. You're not our child anymore. You are a child of God. And we will always be there for you as parents. But our goal is to raise you to be independent of us and dependent on Christ. And we're to send you out into the world to have an impact for him. And you have a special special future. That was the future that Isaac gave to Jacob. You are going to be blessed by those who blessed you and cursed by those who cursed you and you're going to rule over your brother's countries. I need to hear that God wants to use me in a positive way. Now, we, we, made a, we had a little trade-off as we ran around the table and said, this is how we see God using you. We had them agree before the family that they would not marry a woman and bring her into our future that they did not have their permission from their brothers. That's worked out very well. When Zach brought Heather home and before he actually proposed marriage to her, all the family knew her and not the parents because we're not going to live with her, but we wanted them to understand and our daughters-in-law to understand when they became a part of our family, they were not just marrying our son, they were marrying into our family. And each one of our sons had to sign off on that. And again, we're not perfect. One of our sons brought home a girl and he married her and we never gave that blessing. His brothers were not encouraged about her and that's the marriage that's ended in divorce. But that was our goal, to set an ideal and to say, hey, we'd like you to respond to this, this blessing. And then the last thing that we always did was uh, we said, look, we're going to be committed to you in any way possible to help you fulfill this blessing. Anything you need to do what God wants you to do, we want to help with that. You know, if you have a child and you say, oh, you're going to be a great piano player, you're going to be a great guitar player, and you don't get them lessons in a guitar, you're not helping. So as a parent, I want to say, hey, I'm not going to enable them, but I'm going to encourage them and, and provide for them opportunities to be fulfilled in what God has called them to do. In a sense, here's what I've learned, and, and again, my kids are not perfect, my family's not perfect, and we get this wrong as often as I can think about. But every child is like a little emotional tank. And over the course of a day, just getting up and going to school starts to empty that tank. 
And sometimes they have teachers who fill the tank, and sometimes they have teachers who empty the tank. But by the end of the day, a lot of times their tank is empty. And the goal of a mom and dad is to be to fill the emotional tank. You know, sometimes your kids aren't really being bad. They're just saying, my tank is empty. Sometimes they're being bad. But you've got to figure that out because we all have that emotional tank. And the sad fact is many of us did not get from our parents the blessing. And so it's really hard to bestow it on someone else if you don't have it for you. So your kids are like an emotional little tank. Our job is to fill that tank. My wife is great at this. She reads kids so well. And when my grandkids come to my house, her goal when they leave our house is to have full tanks emotionally. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is the idea of favoritism. In the home of Isaac, Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. That's wrong. You cannot play favorites with your kids. They all need to be your favorite. My wife's mom is 99 years old. And she won't go be with Jesus. <laughs> but she is not a nice person. I mean, a couple of years ago, she said to my wife, she's English, so it sounds very nice, I'll, I'll ask you a question, dear. Who is the favorite of all your children? Well, my wife was horrified. She said, well, Mom, they're all my favorites in different ways. And that's the right answer, by the way. She said, well, no, you, you must have a favorite. Well, my wife is not one to let these things slide. So she said, well, why do you ask, Mom, who's your favorite? Gwen is one of three. And immediately her mother said, well, that would be your brother, Drew. And your brother, Rich, would be second. What does it say to your daughter, even at the age of 60, when she knows she's not your first or your second favorite? It kills you. You're all my favorites. Again, most of us didn't get that blessing. But it was so great to be able at each of my son's weddings to say, you know, you have our blessing. And you and your wife have our blessing to go out into the world and have an impact for Christ. It's hard when you don't have... I I wasn't given the blessing by my parents. And maybe, you know, you ask the question, if you don't have the blessing, what do you do? Well, it's okay to ask for it. If, If your parents are still living, it's okay to say, hey, uh... Can you give me your blessing? They may not have any idea what you're talking about, but I've had great stories over the years of people who've gone to their dad particularly and said, Dad, would, would you give me your blessing? Yeah, I'll give you my blessing. Well, I mean, people float out of the room. There were one or two times I remember vividly when my father said, I'm so proud of you. Not many, maybe one or two. And I, th- that was okay. But then I, I came to faith in Christ, and I realized that ultimately God is my father. And so if your parents are dead... What you need to do is bury them and then forgive them and then walk away and go, God, I need you to be my blessing. When we do child dedication on this platform, we ask you as a congregation if you'll be committed to help grow this child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's because we can help be the blessing in the lives of other kids. Maybe your parents did not give you your blessing. Maybe it's a parent, I mean a teacher. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a... It's someone, an aunt or an uncle. In the Indian culture, the American Indians do a real good job of this. When the father dies prematurely, an uncle is brought in, and they actually do a blessing in many of the tribes in the the, uh, Native American culture. So the blessing is a big deal. The great thing is, you know, God, in Ephesians 1, has promised to give us every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
The great news is if you belong to Jesus, you are blessed. You are a child of the King, and you can go out into your world because you have worth and you have value and you are loved and you are cared for, and God has a great future for you. And part of that is to look around at the people, hopefully the little people in your lives, and make sure they have your blessing. You know, in the last month on the news a lot, especially if you follow sports the way I do, there's been story after story about a guy named Lance Armstrong. And I'm really opposed to steroids because I have a son that doesn't use them and he tries to play baseball against guys that do. And there's something in me that makes me really angry that Lance Armstrong would have taken steroids to win the Tour de France. But if you peel back the curtain just a little bit, Lance Armstrong was abandoned by his father at the age of two. And his mother married a guy with whom he didn't get along and for years he's had no contact with his stepdad. Lance Armstrong, in my opinion, is a guy who never had the blessing from anybody that was important in his life. And I think all of that grinding away to earn the seven Tour de France titles is a way of proving to that absent father, I'm worth something. You are worth something because God said you're worth something. God sent his perfect son to die in your place on the cross. You are worth the sacrifice of the Son of God. You are blessed. And our job as we try to be the hands and feet of Jesus is to share that blessing with others, starting with our kids. My kids aren't perfect, but they are blessed. Father, we love you, and we thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I would pray for people like Lance Armstrong who had a father that left and a stepfather they couldn't get along with. I'd pray for the election, Father. There are people that are running for office that are doing it because they are trying to seek the approval of others and they don't do it with your blessing. I pray on Tuesday we would vote according to your values and according to your purpose. But in the meantime, I pray we would understand that we are blessed because you love us. You are our perfect Father. You never mess that up but I pray you'd make us the moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and friends that can bless others. Thank you, Father, for that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.